You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white saver films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. But fuck all that, because we're talking about Wakanda forever today. That's right. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. <laughs> and I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we are super excited to talk about this, not only because yes. you know the movie is incredible and uh, you know everything surrounded it is just like so much to digest, but we have an incredible guest uh, for us today that I'm super happy we're able to have on. Just listening to him talk about this and a bunch of other things on Jason Johnson's podcast, but he is an author who has written many a thing, whether it's New Day, Feel the Power for Boom Comics, whether it's Black Panther Rising for Marvel Comics, whether it's the current backup story in the Wakanda Forever uh, series that's happening now for Marvel Comics, or whether it's the upcoming Milestone 30th Anniversary anthology which he's got the lead story in press we just came out (laughs) keep going we we on it we on it also you might have seen his work if you played the miles morales spider-man game was uh consulting on that and if you've seen wakanda forever you may have actually seen him talking before the movie so (laughs) a lot going on too much you haven't used my name yet it's too much preamble go ahead Evan Narcisse is here talking with us today. Hey. Uh, very happy to have you on, man. Appreciate uh, you. Thanks for having me, y'all. Um, no problem. You know, no problem. I remember when you guys launched the podcast, I was like, you know what? Good. <laughs> Let <laughs> That's go. what we thought. We'd love to have you back on just to talk in general about one of these movies. Like, thinking about it, it would have been so fun to have you do The Serpent and the Rainbow as a Haitian oh my to God. look at that movie. Oh, yeah. and just Oof. all of the ridiculousness going on there. I've but... never watched that movie as an adult. Only watched it as a, as a kid once. And, you know, if, if I could have had a soundtrack, uh, a commentary track of my mom sucking her teeth the whole time, it would have been... <laughs> Yeah, you mean she did enjoy Haitian political revolution as a black a back plot to this white man uh, <laughs> excavating using... zombies for pharma? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're talking about something a lot more fun today, and that is Wakanda Forever, which is in theaters now. Uh, it's the second part of the Black Panther story that Marvel is telling, and it's 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 a rich text. There's a lot going on. Uh, and a lot that we want to talk about. But I think what I'm interested in, a uh, question for both of you, is just kind of where did you first encounter the character Black Panther? Because I know, you know, it's it's interesting Marvel in general, just the way that a lot of these characters have blown up where when we were growing up, and even in, in previous generations, like they weren't necessarily the hyper-visible characters that you would see. You would see Spider-Man, you would see wolverine you know maybe not even like the complete x-men but like wolverine um you would see i mean captain america definitely was like around but like definitely not as big as he is now yeah you know iron man it's funny because you you say captain america um and you mention him being like not quite as visible as he is today like yeah in the era i grew up like the Avengers were second tier, you know. Yeah. Like X Men ran, X Men ran shit. We can curse on this yeah. podcast, right? Oh, yes. yeah, sure. yeah, Please do. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like again, being a nerd of a certain age and watching, you know, the 
MCU domination come by virtue of the Avengers, it's hilarious mm-hmm. to me because it's like, yeah, the X-Men ran things and they were like the hot shit in the streets for yeah. a minute, especially amongst black and brown and marginalized readers, right? Like, yeah. Um, so to go back, you know, to the original part of your question, Jordan, <laughs> um, you know, first place I, I, I ran into Black Panther was um, in an Avengers comic. It was an Avengers reprint. Um, it was, I think, Marvel super action or double action marvel used to have these these uh series where they basically just reprinted old stories with new covers um mm-hmm. and uh it was a story where um the avengers had to fight surtur and yimmer um the uh like um giants of ice and fire in um the asgardian um world that they built based off norse mythology anyway panther was was part of the uh the crew at the time and i think some of that story may have either happened in wakanda or ended there mm-hmm. um but like it was um roy thomas wrote it uh i'm pretty sure it was um john bushima drew it um and nice. i love the way he drew black panther you know it was his old classic suit that was just all mm-hmm. black <clears throat> yeah. um and it was like sleek and foreboding he you know he had like visually speaking more swag than the other avengers you know yeah. like um and i'm not just saying that because i'm because i'm biased and he's my favorite character and i've written him <laughs> but like you know like you you can go back to his first appearances like the way kirby drew black panther was like mm-hmm. on another level like I mean, yeah. there's a couple of uh panels from that first issue fantastic four number 52 his first appearance where like his eyes are peeking out from behind the mask and it looks like Oh, he's gonna fuck you up. Like, yeah. um, um, so you know, my first like kind of uh contact with the character very much was me responding off the visuals of how he was drawn um and portrayed some of the times. Um but yeah, that was definitely the first place I saw him. And in Avengers reprint, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is probably like uh late seventies, early eighties when I'm a kid. I, I can't call the exact year, but yeah, that was my yeah. my first thing. And was there like an immediate like attraction to the character where you're just like, whoa, what's happening here? Or you're just kind of like, oh, that's a cool. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I've repeated this story so many times. I, I hope it doesn't bore anybody. But like the the thing that really got me about uh, Black Panther was he felt like an immigrant superhero. Right. Even though he was a king mm-hmm. of, a, of a whole ass country, you know, he's in America. And, you know, the, you know, the folkways here are different than what he's used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, Roy Thomas is writing this dialogue where he's pining away from Wakanda, wondering what's happening yeah. in his homeland. And is it safe? Like, whatever. Um, and that reminded me of my mom. Um, I was raised by a single mom who was a Haitian immigrant. Um, and the way she talked about Haiti, you know, she talked about wanting to go back, what it was like there. She'd also talk about the history mm-hmm. and all that. So, you know, from a very early age, I felt predisposed to, like, T'Challa a lot more than say like Luke Cage, right? You know, yeah. I read Luke Cage too uh, when I could find comics with him. Um, but you know, the way he was written back then with an exaggerated like ghetto Argo, you know, like the people in the Marvel Comics offices were trying to riff off of like black exploitation movies, right? That's part mm-hmm. of Luke Cage's like metafictional origin story. And like, right. I was like, I don't know any black people that talk like this, you know? <laughs> like, um, or dress like that? Do you know anybody who had the the chain around the neck with the? the Look, yellow? there may be there may be some uncles. Um, uh, I'm joking, uh, mostly. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, so like, you know, Luke Cage felt too exaggerated for me to really feel like, oh, okay, I could identify with his character. You know, I was still entertained by his stories, but like, yeah. he didn't feel like um, proximate or familiar to me. Mm-hmm, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And T'Challa, again, for all the fantastical nature of his character and, and the stories he was in, like, felt like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, this dude's a brainy, you know? Like, he's, you know, he's a genius. He's, he's a, you know... I was, you know, a shy, quiet, book-loving nerd as a kid, and, like, T'Challa mm-hmm. felt closer to that to me. So, yeah, you know, and as I get older, like, I embrace the spectrum of portrayals, right? And especially as they get better, right. but, like, you know, as a kid, I was like, nah, this is my dude. T'Challa's my dude. Right. For sure. Cameron, what about you? What was your first Black Panther contact? Um, I'm more familiar with Black Panther from, like, a wider cultural source. Um, so, you know, I had cousins and I had friends who read comics pretty heavy. I wasn't necessarily into comics. Um, I, I think we had, like, a box of old Archie comics in the back. Like, we didn't have, like, no comics in the house, which was, like, kind of sad, honestly. Um, but I, you know, I would hear that, you know, Marvel had this black superhero, Black Panther. And, you know, I was familiar with the Panthers just as a cultural checkmark. Um my dad being uh, affiliated with the free breakfast program in Baltimore. So I was, a, I was familiar with that. Just, just pretty much that. And then the movie comes around about five years ago and I'm like, Oh, that's him. Well, on top of it, I mean, well, <laughs> Captain America civil war is maybe the first time I saw him. So, uh, or realized on the silver screen, but yeah, that's pretty much it from the movies. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I've been able to watch him grow and watch like uh, this relationship that uh, T'Challa, the character, has with the public and, you know, that being merged with, you know, the legend of Chadwick Boseman now. Mm -hmm. uh, That's, it's kind of like watching this idea go from just like a nugget of stardust to just like, just exploding in a way that like, I haven't seen, I've seen few cultural landmarks do that. So uh, that's, that's pretty much, I'm watching it as an observer, but I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because growing up in the 90s, like so much of what you were seeing specifically, you know, from a from a black perspective, we didn't see a lot of us. And so the closest <laughs> I think like everyone was saying, the closest we got were the X-Men. And like, for sure, I don't know. I, I think I, I feel like having talked to a lot of other black nerds, like this is kind of a, a cultural like phenomena where we're like, we're the blue one, right? Is that the, that's the closest <laughs> to us. <laughs> Beast. It might be Nightcrawler. It might be Beast. <laughs> right, you know, right. And then Bishop showed up and we we're like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> There's one, we're in there now. But uh, I mean, Storm was always know, there, you know, at least since, Storm, right, Storm for since sure. the Uncanny era started, right? But yeah. yeah. So it, it took a while. And then, you know, Black Panther was a character, at least up until, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, Christopher <laughs> Priest's uh, Black Panther run. But up until then, like Black Panther was kind of with the rest of the Avengers, kind of an also ran, right? And so it's interesting to see, even in that time period, right? You've got a Spider Man cartoon, you've got an X Men cartoon. For some reason, you have an Iron Man cartoon and a Hulk cartoon. You have a Fantastic Four cartoon. And maybe, I think, I believe briefly a Silver Surfer cartoon. I was about to check you on that. I was like, yeah, Silver Surfer cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and Black Panther would show up as you know specifically and stuff like when they had their um, 
Secret Wars crossover and stuff like that. Like he was kind of just like, and Black Panther's here, you know, it's like <laughs> the other, you know, he showed up in the Fantastic Four cartoon, you know, kind of as an homage to his original origin story. But like, I think Voiced that, by Keith David, if I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't really one of those things where like he stuck out to me because I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is different. Um, but it, it wasn't until, you know, a little bit later when I started to get, you know, the comics more heavy, like, you know, reading stuff like this and then Reginald Hudlin's run and then seeing, I mean, Reginald Hudlin helped create the cartoon for BET. And, you know, like there was definitely like a movement toward making this character not just like the the not even like the token black character in a lot of these situations but like as wakanda grew right you know alongside and we'll talk a little bit more about this too the nations of the marvel universe latveria atlantis you know and all this stuff like he is he stands apart from a lot of superheroes because not only is he royalty not only is he a king but he's got these geopolitical obligations that really make him different even from a captain america who like Mm -hmm. might be representing america as a symbol but like is not america you know in the way that like t'challa's wakanda you know what he does like means something for wakanda you know yes steve's uh institutional power begins and ends at the ballot box (laughs) like that's it he runs shit he's like and i mean there's there's been times where they got Steve's ass out of there. They're like, oh, yeah. oh this ain't, we don't, we don't like this. We don't like what's going on here. <laughs> U.S. agent, get in here. Like, yes. Just kind of run him off the block. So I think that's, that's really what I find fascinating about the character. And I just want to, before we get into the movie, uh, touch on two more things. So I do want to touch on this in specific, because I think when Christopher Priest came around, one, first black comic book editor like first black a lot of things in in comics spaces but also the first black writer to write black panther which i think really changed the direction of the character because up until then right if you if you hear jack kirby tell it he says i created the character because i looked at my comic strips and there weren't any black people in it and you know i had black friends one of my first friends was black like i really like felt I should do something about that. So they created Black Panther. And in the same way that a lot of Marvel history kind of gets coincidentally intersected with like civil rights and like uh, Stanley will tell you that Magneto yeah. X, not Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Like that wasn't an intentional thing. It's just kind of what people inferred. And same thing, like Black Panther not black panthers like mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know, we're trying to we're especially at that time like you did not want to affiliate with that in any way shape or form if you were you know a larger white institution that was like oh you with them Mm-mm, no we're not, <laughs> not, not going to support that so you know like it it took on the name but it wasn't necessarily like an homage to as much of just coincidental these things happened around you know a similar time and so you get a lot of depictions of Wakanda and Black Panther up until this point, and he is very much a regal king, you know, who's who's mostly in the same way that, again, Dr. Doom and Namor sometimes, oh, you know, that's not in the better interest of my nation. I don't want to participate in whatever's happening here. Or, you know, like, yes, this is a direct conflict with my nation i need to interject and intervene in the situation and as an avenger you know he would go on all these different things but like christopher priest was like first of all this is a black man 
from an African nation. And like, we're going to really turn all this up, yeah, you know, to 11 in a way that I, I think people hadn't seen before and maybe weren't necessarily expecting from the character. So Evan, if you want to pontificate a little bit about just what Christopher Priest not only brought to the character, but how that kind of changed the trajectory uh, after that point. Yeah, you know, I mean, you said a lot of it already, but like... Again, I grew up in an era where it was pre-internet and you didn't know what the comics creators look like, right? So for me, mm-hmm. um, for the listeners who don't know, Christopher Priest um, uh, is uh, the name of the person who used to be known as Jim Owsley. So um, as Jim Owsley, he had that early trailblazing career that Jordan talked about at Marvel Comics. And um, he wrote Power Man and Iron Fist for a long time. And it was a Power Man and Iron Fist um, sequence that made me realize somebody black might be writing this book. <laughs> you know, there's a moment where Luke has this um, altercation with a black police sergeant. And, um, you know, he, he, he like drops the bass in his voice and he, he puffs up and gets all threatening. And he's like, my loud, angry Negro act didn't phase him. I'm like, wait a minute. That, 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 that means this, whoever's <laughs> writing this knows that like, that's a thing you can do. Like, like code switching. <laughs> um, and you know that made me realize there's got to be black people in this book. Uh, 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 Mark Bright was also drawing the book at the time, and again, a big departure from the way the character was portrayed before. Um, so Priest brought that same energy to Wakanda, and the thing that's most impressive about his run is like he treats Wakanda almost as if it's like an extraterrestrial culture, right? Like mm-hmm. it's so foreign to. Um, the narrator character, Everett K. Ross, but also to the reader, right? You know, like the priest Black Panther run is like, yeah, you've never really known this country. Like we, you know, we, you've never got all the way in, you know, like priest credits the McGregor run for laying the foundation um, for the character in in the terms of um, describing different political factions in Wakanda and the internal tensions, their their mindset towards the outside world, um, and the fact that their king, you know, goes off on these big old adventures um, <laughs> with these white superheroes, and just like is like, oh, I'll be back later, running out to you know, beat up Korvac or whatever. Um, right. So yeah, uh, Priest takes all of that and really, like you said, turns it up and extrapolates it. Right. So the geopolitical intrigue, you know, the internal kind of political tensions, the stuff about his family, um, his own psychology. Like he really um, interrogates it and deepens it in a way that Mm -hmm. T'Challa had really not enjoyed before, you know? Um, um, That's the thing. You know, I always talk about like stewards for characters, right? Like, Unless you've got somebody shepherding a character for a long time, and it doesn't have to be just one person, it could be a series right. of creators and comics, but like those characters don't get to be, don't get to develop, you know. So when mm-hmm. you know T'Challa kind of like fades into the background of the Avengers, like he'll get a subplot, you know, a couple of spotlight issues, but that doesn't give you the room to really explore all the the narrative possibilities of the character. So when you get yeah. Christopher Priest on a run that goes like five years, um you really come out at the end of it with a wealth of like possible interpretations um, for the character. So, you know, Priest's work is and was and is good, but like 
the sheer fact that there was a Black Panther title that ran that long, mm-hmm. like, is is one of the things responsible for um, the kind of like now superposition of the character in the cultural mm-hmm. mindset. Well, and I think it's interesting too because one of the things that Christopher Priest did with the character was, in a very specific way, make T'Challa dangerous you know in the sense of like he's not just regal king you know yes yes sire yeah no not the flowery language and the acrobatics and whatnot is like the 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 great thing about um the way priest wrote chichala is like he was hiding shit all along you know Mm -hmm. like um, he was code switching. He was yes, not. yeah, yeah. But like his whole vibe, like he's like, you know what? I'm gonna put the cape away. Let him forget. Um, I'm gonna do, you know, I'm gonna leave the gadgets back back home. You know, whatnot. And you know, my head canon, um, has always been, you know, post priest, right? Because you know, a writer can yeah. change the way you perceive the canon. Mm-hmm. My but my head canon was like, yeah, he had that capability all along, but he just wasn't bringing it to you know again. Than white folks' house, you know, so they could be no. like, "Ooh, where did you get <laughs> that?" You know, it's like I'm, I'm gonna bring the plain old suit and um, just just let the heart heart shape earth rock, and you know, <laughs> I can get by like that. Um, and I'll be really melodramatic, so they think I'm, you know, underpowered and in danger, but really he's like, "Yeah, I'm chilling back home." Yeah, well, for sure, and I, and I'm I'm interested too, just in you you speak to the head canon like as somebody who has written T'Challa a couple of times, right? Like one, always an intimidating proposition to write a character that you have such a reverence for, yeah. you know? And yeah. like, you're like, man, how do I bring all the things that I love to this character while also, you know, adding something to it while also not necessarily just like repeating what, yeah. you know, everybody yeah. else has already seen about. So like you, you tell, you know, the rise of T'Challa, you know, like this, this story about a young T'Challa and his relationship with his mother and, you know, all these other things. And then also now in the Wakanda Forever backups, you're telling the history of the Black Panther. And so, you know, what is it for you, not only to add layers to T'Challa as a character, but also as Wakanda as a, as a civilization, you know, because I think one of the things so fascinating about the comics, but also the film is that, you know, you really see a just wide birth of pulling in from all kinds of African tradition and folklore, language, uh, culture, and merging them in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, this is just kind of a forced, you know, they picked this and this and like smushed it together and said, good enough, you know, but more so like people have given this real thought, you know, and real uh, care in, in, in presenting these things, yourself included, you know, and, and trying to make sure that when people read these stories or they watch these films that they're taking something away culturally. That's not just like, it is fictional, right. In the sense of like, you know, Wakanda is not a real place, but it's also there's certain real life events or real life uh, connections that are being made to Africa or Haiti or other places that I think people can really take with them and, and build upon in the real world. So for you as a writer, like how do you kind of approach all of those things? Yeah. You know, so the first thing is like, Specifically, when I was writing Rise of the Black Panther, I didn't want to invalidate anything that came before, right? You know, in fact, I wanted to go in the other direction of, like, how can I make all this wildly disparate history feel cohesive and organic, right? So, you know, if you read the Jack Kirby comics from the 70s, they're 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 out of this world, you know? 
they're like trippy and psychedelic and it comes right after the Don McGregor run and it's complete tonal mismatch, right? You know, mm-hmm. McGregor is writing this philosophical wordy, you know, um, exploration of what it means to, to rule this nation. And Kirby's like, uh, uh, sci-fi adventures, you know, uh, <laughs> people with big heads who can read minds and, you know, uh, he's got a half brother who like turns into this giant pink monster. And it's like, what? Um, this is the same dude. So like, here comes yeah. me. And I wanted to make it feel like it's the same dude. It's the same family. It's the same country. You know, you, you filter that through like Kirby, Lee, McGregor, Freeze, Tanahasi. Like, you know, you, the, the great thing about comics is like, you, you, because so many different angles and facets of a character are shown as creative teams change and editorial preferences change, you wind up with these characters that are like, full of contradictions you know Mm -hmm. um but that's rich storytelling fodder so like i dove right into i tried to dive right into that i'd be like you know one of the things i like to say is like when i started reading black panther t'challa was an orphan you know um uh we barely heard any mention of his mother and he didn't have a sister um or or any siblings and then those characters get added as over time right so like even as relatively recent as a priest run you know, Shuri was not around, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's this brooding, you know, uh, Machiavellian ruler who um, you really can't read him, you know? Like, he's got a poker face all the time. Um, and, you know, him being an only child who's orphan, you, you couldn't kind of make that math work in your head, you know? But the minute you add a sibling, you know, my point of view was like, Sure, he's gonna be like kick him in his ass. Stop sulking and let's right. get let's go. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, uh, the affect of the character changes a little bit when you introduce like a bigger supporting cast, different family members mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so I just wanted to like figure out if there's a way to tell a story, paying homage to all that stuff that I loved in his publishing history, while also trying to find new angles. Right. So you know, famously. Um, T'Challa's first appearance is when he's taking on the Fantastic Four, he kicks their asses and basically right. would have won, right, if it wasn't for Wyatt Wingfoot, their, <laughs> their kind of uh, Native American homeboy um, who's Johnny Storm's best friend. Anyway, like <laughs> so I was thinking like, well, you know if there's a ruler of a country who almost kicked the Fantastic Four's ass, like wouldn't, what if Doctor Doom heard about that? He'd be like, I would like to get to know this young man. Maybe I'll invite him for dinner. And and that's something I wrote. Um, so, you know, honoring the past, but figuring out how to chart into the future, that's something I've always loved about the character. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, way before I got the chance to write the character, I wrote about the character, you know, when I was a cultural critic and a journalist. And I always used to say, like, he, I love what I love about him is he stands at the crossroads between tradition and modernity, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he's got the history of the country in his hands. But he's also smart enough to be like, yo, you know what? If we stay hidden like this, things are going to get real bad. You know, um, yeah. um, people are going to keep coming for us. So better that we open our borders, you know, figure out relations with the rest of the international kind of geopolitical ecosystem and f- and figure out where we can fit in and what we can do. Um, and of course, repercussions follow from that. And so, you know, it's interesting because it seems very much like the movies are heading in that direction. Um, which I love. That's such a rich space. Like you said, Jordan, before, like 
he's one he's one of the few comics characters who can really explore that kind of story and then you add in all the metaphorical symbolism um as it points toward black history across the world you know like africa haiti you know specific countries in africa like ethiopia Mm -hmm. or nigeria you know um all that stuff is just really rich fodder for telling black panther stories and and you like you said you can walk away from reading these stories and learn something about real history um yeah but also just enjoy it as, as like straight up you know pulp pop culture entertainment so um for me it's always been trying about walk that walking that tightrope right um but you know like i learned to love my black ass self by reading black panther comics you know mm-hmm. like that was i won't say it was everything but it was definitely a percentage right you know yeah. like um a character that was um inherently noble you know but also complicated you know um he had doubt um sitting right alongside all his genius you know um he had yearning despite the fact that like you know he was born into like a ridiculous amount of privilege and power Mm -hmm. you know like all of that like it felt like um really real and textured to textured to me you know so that's that's you know you try to honor that and add more to that to like the long publishing history of this character and you know like not to go off script but like i I do the (laughs) same shit with batman you know i'm writing a batman comic and it's like okay yeah like what are all the like um tensions and thematic kind of like um energies that have appealed to me and what can i add to them you know like that that's you know i one really quick story um let's go when i was still a journalist i had the opportunity to uh interview chadwick um at uh, san diego comic-con um before the, the black panther movie came out this was um the occasion was like um, they were doing press for the home video release of Civil War. So, you know, mm-hmm. one of my colleagues um, was like, yeah, I, you know, I booked this interview, but I think you should do it. You know so much about this character, blah, 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 et cetera. So I did it. Um, and thank you, Jermaine. Um, and, you know, I'm sweating. I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? And the thing, I, you know, part of how I approach writing um, of any sort, whether it's journalism or fiction, um, and the reason I'm telling the story is like, I try to think, okay, what, what can I do? What do I think I can do that nobody else could do? What's uniquely mm-hmm. me, right? So I'm like, let me ask this question. Let me ask this man a question that nobody else is going to ask him. And the question I asked him was, well, you know, tell me why the Black Panther is not the magical Negro of the MCU. Um, and when I wrote an article for io9, that was the headline. Um, and he laughed. He was like, man, I, can, I could, you know, I could go on and on about that trope. He didn't say that in so many words. <laughs> Um, but like he understood what the character could be, you know, in this iteration, you know, what it could mean, what it could symbolize, how it could, um, harken back to, again, these real world black histories that, um, we don't hear enough about, or that just could be resurfaced in a more invigorated way. So like, you know, that's like the journey, that's the mission, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. it's why I love what I love work that does that you know um I'm reading um Marlon James's book uh Moon Witch and um Spider King okay. and um yeah. 
uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know, Marlon James is writing this um, um, uh, deep fantasy set in African um, folklore. Um, it's like token-esque. It's like really big, heady books. And the way he uses language to me, like, is a complete and utter joy. He like, you know, it's like, I, I'm I'm struggling how to say this because I want to I don't want to like sound fucked up, but at once it's like this this high fantasy speech, you know, um, not these and thous, but like, uh, yeah. um, like the royal court palace intrigue stuff, right? But it's also like some dude from around the way who just saw a fight and he's telling you about it. Like, and then he, he smacked this dude upside his head. It's not quite that, but it's, it's the intersection of those things. And I love yeah. that. And the reason I love it is because it's like what black people around the world do to language that we were, that was forced upon us and how we remix it and reinvent it. So Haitian Creole, which I grew up speaking, you know, that's not Parisian French. You know what I'm saying? No. Like mm. AAVE is not like the Queen's English, you know? Mm-hmm. And all the energy and 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 swagger and reinvention that we bring into that, like is its own art. You know what I'm saying? And so when I read Marlon James's books and I it, to me what it feels like he's invoking that, that makes me feel like yeah, we're like we're creating new grammars that y'all don't even know. Um and when you know it <laughs> Like you're so hungry and thirsty for it. And we know how that, what that loop looks like. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that to me, like that's the work that um these movies do good, you know, good black storytelling in general, right? Like it, it gives our lens to the world. So again, like when I got the chance to sit across from Chadwick as a journalist, I was like, okay, how can I bring this into this interaction? You know what I'm saying? So and yeah. I and I feel like you know, Kugler and his crew with these movies are doing the same thing. You know, look, absolutely. I was lucky enough to be at the premiere of the of the first Black Panther movie, and um, when Shuri looks at the child's shoes and says, "What are those?" Like <laughs> you couldn't hear the next three lines of dialogue because people were <laughs> laughing so loud. Like it was, you know, um, it was that and the kind of Colonizer, colonizer line yeah. yeah it was just like oh my god what um <laughs> and you know that's vibranium you can't duplicate that there's only one place you can get that and it's us for sure sorry i talked <laughs> too that's... much y'all i don't know oh, if you no, 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 it's, it's, it's no problem at all and i think that that segues us perfectly into and we're gonna get into some real nerd shit now but we're gonna start <laughs> talking about the movie i think I read your Rolling Star article, and what I think is so fascinating about, you know, not only what you were talking about, but where these movies are going is in the Marvel Universe, right? Specifically, we're talking about the comics at this point. You know, I feel like they're going to get there in the movies. There are three geopolitical factions that, like, have constantly clashed and intertwined, but also are so fascinating in their interconnectedness and kind of, like, the way that their stories build, and that's in the in the movie, you know, it's not called Atlantis, but in the comics, it is Atlantis is where Namor is from. And obviously, you know, now with Aquaman out, they were like, well, we can't, it can't be the same thing. We got to switch that up. Sorry. Um, Wakanda, you know, where Black Panther is from. And then Latveria, where Dr. Doom is from. And like the interaction of those three characters. Jordan Clark, are you really leaving Krakoa off the map? 
Krakoa is new, you know, and I'm not saying that we're not going to get into that, but specifically if we're talking about what I feel like, because I don't think Krakoa is coming to the MCU in any, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying you need to put some respect on Aurora. I I respect Krakoa. (laughs) Krakoa is, is the newly formed mutant nation. Uh, where all the mutants have moved to and kind of they're like you know what y'all fucked with us enough yeah like we're we just gonna out. have our own yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so enjoy this but also like we got all the shit y'all want so you got to come see us you know also you we're gonna terraform mars and, and take and take it over because <laughs> y'all 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 had how many years to do that so now we're gonna do that uh, <laughs> but in 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 this kind of like um world where you have Dr. Doom, Namor, and T'Challa, like the stories between all three of them have been fascinating because, again, at once they are, Namor has always been kind of this anti-hero, right? Like just off bat, right? Like he's attacking the surface world. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's he's doing all kinds of things because they're fucking with the ocean. They're fucking with, and this is way back. This isn't like current day climate crisis, whatever. This is like back in the in the 50s and the 60s like he's like no no like stop i mean 1930s he's like yeah the reason (laughs) the reason he becomes a superhero in world war ii is because the german u-boats are like fucking with atlantis you know Um, yeah so like yeah i I interrupted you keep going i don't want to go (laughs) on another thing go ahead but he's 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 been this kind of in and out character you know from from the beginning where he is Yes, at once, like, treated as a villain, you know, in certain instances, because he is like, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the surface. Like, if this is what it's going to be, like, it's us for Shaw. Like, there's no, no in-betweens, no half measures. But then at also times, like, like Evan was saying, like, he was part of the Defenders and, like, helped fight in World War II. He's been part of several superhero groups throughout time and potentially and this is an mcu thing that might happen the illuminati right where he was also a member with t'challa who uh again has been very much so a hero but also is very sternly wakanda right and like anything that might adversely affect wakanda it's a hard no yeah like i'm not and that's like to steve rogers face to the president's face, to Eddie, you know what I mean? Like, no, like he's, it's not going to budge on anything. It doesn't matter who he's talking to him. And then there's Dr. Doom, who is this character who you see him kind of go back and forth, you know, obviously is a villain for the Fantastic Four, but like he loves Latveria, right? And like, if he were ever to complete his dream of taking over the world, the capital of the world, would be Latveria. Like, he's not moving to New York. He's not moving. This is it, right? This is my home. And each of them kind of have these interesting stories. Dr. Doom comes from nothing, right? He comes from the dirt. He builds himself up, and he becomes the monarch of this country. And that, you know, his love is from that, right? Like, he is from nothing, from nowhere. But this is his home, and he loves it like nobody else loves it, right? Namor is is put into the situation where he is the king, right? And it seems like... Evan, you can correct me because I'm not up on Namor all the way, but like he's kind of always been king, right? Um, you know, it's like, funny. What? He he was referred to as a prince, um, right? Back in the 30s, when Marvel comes back with superheroes in the 60s, he was still a prince. At some point, he becomes king. Um, I don't know if, if that was when his mom died. But um, yeah, the title changes, but like he's always essentially ruled Atlantis, right? Like he's been right. the, the head of state there. 
um, for yeah. forever. But then T'Challa is like from a long line, yeah, of of royalty in Black Panther, right? And so he is, you know, son of T'Chaka, but is like this this kid who has been groomed for this, yeah, right. But then you kind of see a little bit of part of him going out with the Avengers. Is it not necessarily rebellious in the sense of like doesn't love Wakanda, but is always kind of like been uneasy with the crown right like yeah. wants it but is like the the pressure of it is is been you know something that's been at the source of his character right and like how he he operates so now we're finally getting this geopolitical conflict where you have two black and brown nations together recognizing the threat of colonization and white supremacy understanding that again namor says very explicitly if they if they come for the vibranium down here, like it's not just me. Yeah. Right. Like this is like this, you know what I mean? Like you know, you know what's gonna happen. And even um Angela Bassett said, I you, I know what's gonna happen if you get this, right? Like I'm not scared of w- what vibranium is. I'm scared of what it is if you have it. Right. Right? Like it's a whole different set of circumstances. And you see mm-hmm. that, you know, the the whole spin of this conflict is at once you know, just this history of black and brown people and people of all colors, say white people, you know, white people have been, you know, on the, on the margins in terms of like understanding and seeing, but like us as minorities, like very acutely aware of not only how white supremacy has directly altered our, like our, our histories and our cultures, like what could have been and like what we should have had and how, you know, generations have kind of looked back and said, yeah like that was not only like fucked up but like we lost so much you know what i mean yeah. like histories mm-hmm. cultures were erased due to colonization even looking at namor in this movie you like the mayan civilization like wiped out completely you know mm-hmm. what i mean like so many native civilizations like gone you know like no nobody left you know whether it was smallpox whether it was just murder or yeah. <laughs> anything else and so you know you see all of these histories of of us as people trying to not only reconcile with that but in this fictional universe like the very realization of like we are basically it like we are the last two that have withstood this this onslaught and now we're at the precipice of what could be the end of that and like how do we reconcile with that are we are we going to go at each other's throats and it's going to be whoever's left standing or are we going to unify and kind of stand up to this and and then we see all the this the messy human things that come in with that right like obviously there is what you might consider to be right what you might consider to be wrong but then there's actual very real human drama of like my family right like yeah. my mother is dead my brother is dead you know what i mean like my my home like people that i know have been killed and murdered in this conflict and oftentimes that is what happens at a certain point you just kind of forget we're fighting because you killed whoever, right? And it, whatever whatever was the impetus of this is gone, right? Now it's just, you took mine, I'm taking yours. Back and forth forever until, you know what I mean? Whatever the eventual resolution is. And so I just, as a, we're talking about a Marvel movie right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a Disney product, right? And I, I find it so fascinating that I would say even a, when Black Panther 1 came out, like, I couldn't have imagined this. I couldn't have imagined them going to these places or broaching these topics because, you know, even the colonizer line in the first one was like, 
damn yeah okay <laughs> yeah. we're doing that like okay okay you know but here it's just like this this total like we're having this conversation you know what i mean and we're gonna really hash this out in a big epic superhero type film uh but we're really gonna get into these these ideas and, and these topics and i just wonder for both of you like watching that as black people like what is that what does that say about not only just what is possible now you know in the space of of black film but also like how does that resonate moving forward within the marvel universe because now we've got the situation where arguably the two most powerful countries like nobody's fucking with namor right like namor <laughs> roll up on any country right now a rap like that's you know what I mean? So like Wakanda basically the same. So two, you know, you can send your Avengers or whoever else, but like, no. Nah. So like you know, because Thanos was about to wipe y'all out until T'Challa ran through that portal, right? So it's like we got we got something that is really like separating us from the rest of the world, right? Within Wakanda. So like what what is it, you know, when you kind of see all these things, all these really deep and interesting texts. I mean, I was like, is somebody gonna quote Fred's fan on at some point? Like what how, <laughs> how deep are we gonna get in this? <laughs> so yeah, how did how did you kind of like take all of that in? Because it is a lot happening at once and like really deep and layered uh conversations that are being had. Uh I guess I'll I'll start by saying um, I thought it was pretty sly, honestly, because by the time this is spoiler-free conversation, uh, I, or not yeah. spoiler-free conversation, this is spoiler no, conversation. We're, we're going spoiling. in. We're going deep. Uh, but it looked it to me um, by the time the conflict was fully underway, I hadn't even realized that. You know, it's these two nations that, you know, don't realize that the U.S. government has been plotting against them. And Hydra is like, you know, on the on the rise, uh, working with them. And, you know, they obviously don't have like too much information about what they actually are doing, but they know that something's up. And I and I love that. By the end of it, it was about them needing to join together in the wake of like, you know, uh, I guess people plotting on their nations, their respective nations, but also knowing that these people are straight up colonizers, like they say many times in <laughs> over the course of the movie. And we need to join forces to fight these guys. So by the time the conflict had even like arisen in the movie, I was like, Oh, we're, we're deep in the weeds, you yeah. know, uh, so I, I just thought that was kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I think Kugler knows what he's doing, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, like at every sure. turn, you know, there's a dude that grew up in Oakland, you know, yep. um, right. and this is a dude whose first movie was uh, Fruitvale Station, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like he's making movies with a specific worldview. Um, and the thing about these movies is that they feel deeply personal, you know? Like, yeah. um, the reason, you know, Killmonger was right became a thing after the first movie was because, like, they, they, they tapped a vein there, you know? 
that a lot of people feel about like, yeah, our history is broken, you know, and, and those people broke it, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we've been trying for centuries to recover, you know, um, and that's, again, like I said, deeply felt, right? And this movie was like, okay, how do you move forward when um, the grief is obvious, right? You know, the absence mm -hmm. of Chadwick is felt throughout the whole movie. But I feel like um, from, a, from a broader point of view, one of the questions is, how do you move forward when the success and stability that you might have achieved is under constant threat by you know, these larger systems that, you know, from from a sheer kind of um, numerical standpoint, outstrip you, right? Like, one of the things I always yeah. like to say about Wakanda is that um, it's, uh, it's um, small, you know? Wakanda is not a big country, you know? Like, mm -hmm. um, I forget, you know, with, with the numbers in the comics, but it's like maybe 5 million people, you know, it's like the size yeah. of New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not big. Their their technological advance advancement is like disproportional, but like you know, <laughs> if if you know, it was like a ground invasion with enough people, like yeah, they'd get overwhelmed, right? You know, eventually over time, it'd be a war of attrition. So, yeah, you got to get in there. <laughs> yeah, you got, exactly. Step one, step one's gonna be really hard. Yeah. Um, um, but I also think that's something that the movie showed, right? Is like yeah, like you know, um, their peace is fragile, right? And and. Mm -hmm. And once you take that as a given, again, their whole kind of like geopolitical stance like becomes a lot more understandable. So that was something I thought was communicated really well. And again, like with Talokan, it, it, it was all of that, but even more heightened, right? Because like, you know, they'd even get into the ecological threat, you know, they'd even get into yeah. like that stuff, right. you know, right. they're like, we just, we're just not trying to have you know about us at all, you know? Yeah. Um, And that amplifies again, the response that they will have to the threat of being discovered. Right. So, you know, again, it's right. like, it's like you said, Jordan, we're the last remnants of an unbroken chain of history, right? Or like, you know, something that has been broken and repaired and that we now control. And 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 the threat is like, not just stealing vibranium from us, but stealing sovereignty from us, right? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and again, you don't need like super technological battle armor or mutant wings on your ankles to understand that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. you 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 know if you're a person of color, black person, marginalized person um in this world, you know what it's like to be like, "Oh man. Um a couple wrong moves and this all goes away." You know? For sure. And that's something that again, I feel like the movie tapped into really well. Well, it's interesting too, right? Because at the center of this is is the loss of Chadwick, right? Yeah. But even the way that the movie spins it is it's an interesting idea ideological question where this is something that again many minority people have had to deal with is like what do we do when our leaders are taken? Right? Like how do we respond to this continuation of this momentum, this movement that we've been on where because it's they don't die of old age. Right. Very rarely right. do people at the forefront of these movements just get to pass away on their own terms. Right. right? Like uh, if they're not murdered, 
you know, assassinated outright. Like they are forced to leave the country and flee and like never be seen or heard from again mm-hmm. or be, you know, turned into these kind of ostracized figures. And so, you know, Chadwick is, is gone immediately. You know, like the movie starts out with no more T'Challa, right? And like, what does Wakanda look like after that? And then obviously you have, you know, Queen Ramonda, right? And she's doing her best to keep things together. But like, not only are all these outside forces kind of, you know, creeping in, trying to, you know, get vibranium and other things, but like in the interiority of her family, right? Like Shuri is hurting and she is as a mother, not sure what to do, right? Like she's trying to figure out how to reach her. And again, we're getting into the spoilers. The very interesting part comes up where she takes the synthetic heart shaped herb. She goes in, you know, she's, she's having her, her vision and she sees Killmonger, right? Which was like in my theater. I don't know about y'all, but I was like, Ooh. That, "That was the moment. That was the moment." In the movie, People right? stood yeah. up. There was a lot of gas. A lot of like, "Whoa!" <laughs> right? But I think it's it's telling because Shuri's stance on this is an interesting, not only just inversion to T'Challa, but also like a a, a look at how oftentimes you know in response to how older generations had moved right so very much so civil rights movement you know sure. not even necessarily malcolm to martin but huey p to both of them right. you know what i mean where it's right. like we have tried this and now we're gonna do this right because oftentimes as marginalized people what we are taught not explicitly but just through watching the world violence works right because violence is done unto us and that gets results. When we do violence, it's now, you know, this this unspeakable thing. How could you? Right? But, like, you look at the history books and, like, that's all you've ever done to us. Right? <laughs> like, that, that's it. You know, it's just, just un, unspeakable things time and time again. And so that's what happens a lot of times is the younger generations will say, okay, l- like, let's flip it back. You know what I mean? If that's what gets results, if that's what we've seen work is violence and just all of this pent up and unreleased anger that we have, you know, and that's what Killmonger represented. Right. And I think why a lot of people uh, responded to that character was, yes, you seen the movie makes it very explicitly clear, right. He is doing not good things, not good things in the sense of like, he is corrupting Wakanda. He is killing people who don't agree with him. He is very much a dictator in the sense He's of destroying you know, their of the culture that, and history. Right. <laughs> it, it, in order to do something that you might say, yeah, I, I agree with that in a sense, but like not there's other ways to get there, right? And so for Shuri to see Killmonger, right, I thought was one, a very powerful moment for her as a character, but also because his relationship to Namor, right? Namor is very much so the not just the Killmonger of this movie, but like Namor is if I had one small critique about the Namor character in this film is like Namor in the comics is a savage. Yeah. Like he is not, he, he, he's, he, 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 he's it, Mr. Steal your girl, you know, <laughs> uh, smack up your daddy. Like he, he, yeah. he will walk into Avengers mansion, put his feet on the couch. Yeah. Like he lives yeah. there. Like no, no problems. Right. And so like, it's not even that he should have gone. See, we dripping off even... the wings on his ankle. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> 
He's he's in you. He's he's uh, Ving Rains and Baby Boy. You know, in the <laughs> he's kicking some eggs, right? So like, I think you 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 see him in this movie, and like specifically one like the origin story, right? Like his one of his first acts is I'm going to kill these guys. <laughs> you know I mean? My my mom said she wants to be buried here. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Y'all get out the. If I have to kill you, fine. You know what I mean? And he's like eight years old, right? Like off job that's what he's doing right and so like you can see how his worldview very much cemented early on and that kind of push and pull for sherry as this character who who are you gonna follow right and i think you know the the grayish terms of that right because like there aren't really a lot of absolutes like she doesn't necessarily have to be t'challa again right but she also doesn't have to fully you know succumb to what killmonger succumbed to right like there is a space in between those that i think you know they're sending up the character to fill so how did you how did you guys feel about her story arc as not only just taking the mantle of black panther but also you know navigating a lot of that uh ground that again i think fills in a lot of gaps real world wise into this um but is also not she's not like Yay, Shuri! Right. <laughs> like, glad, glad you got the mantle. It's like, oh, Shuri! Like, I don't even, I don't know what's, I don't know what you're gonna do next, right? Like, there's still a lot of complications going on right. with the character. So, if I may, Cameron, go um, for it. Go for it. The thing about specifically the ancestral plane moment with Shuri that I loved was, um, you know, you talk about communing with the ancestors and connecting with them and invoking them and it's like well it's not just how they come to you it's how you come to them right like mm. what is your mind state what is your emotional state what's your psychological state when you when you are entering a space in which you are going to commune with your ancestors right like and and what was her mind state grieving angry um put upon you know just like uh she was standing on unsteady ground yeah ill at ease with mm-hmm. the world right and her role in it right and who who you see when you go um somebody else who was ill at ease with the world and his place in it so that made a lot of sense to me you go cameron yeah but uh, well, <laughs> I, I, what i was worried about was her level of grief right because this is the most, this is the worst thing that could happen to her, right? As well as her, mm-hmm. as well as her, like on the, on the base level of her king is gone, her brother's gone, right? Uh, maybe she has to take up that mantle. She doesn't know, but then her mother's gone. So maybe she does have to take up that mantle. And it's the way she's rushing to um, recreate the synthetic heart-shaped herb. And what it's the the DNA sequence is only what ninety seven point eight or something like that's not mm-hmm. quite sure. And she's just so willing to. I just need to get it done. We need to move forward. I I have moves to make. If she's that close and not willing to just breathe and take the time to you know get that extra two percent, who else was she going to run into? Somebody else who right. rushed into the situation. Somebody else who you know saw an opportunity and decided to. Uh, take over and I think Shuri is you know it's such a great and complex moment and when when she's met with him 
it's almost like she expects it and hates that that's what happened right mm -hmm. like like of course she would want to do the right thing her country's in danger she knows she needs to step up and elevate to a place of professionality or like you know just protect her people and uh she, she rushes in she rushes in a little blind and i think that you know having having that be the mistake having it be killmonger that she sees and then she doesn't want to tell anybody you know everybody's you know, everybody who saw her go into that vision riri and uh uh who else saw her going i'm sorry uh it was okoye uh, right okoye was there yeah yeah okoye was there um and when they and when they ask her you know she doesn't tell them she doesn't tell them because she's embarrassed of like yeah it, it, it's not she's embarrassed and she's scared because she doesn't know what that means for her but she knows what she has to do going forward and i think that that's such a it was such a great and complex moment for the character and honestly for the movie i mean it does come like at the halfway moment a little bit and it is yeah, definitely. It was definitely like the number one moment that my audience reacted to, but it was also like something that as soon as we reacted to it, we hushed and we and we had to like zero in on it because we had to understand like, well, well why? And now we know why. And once once we get over our own grief, you know, in that point in the movie, <laughs> we're able to see, ah, oh, damn, see, that's that's what could possibly happen. And it's happening to her and something that she has to fight with for the remainder of the movie. It was, a, I mean, it was a kind of a masterstroke, honestly, as far as the storytelling, yeah. because it could be so easy, right? It could be so easy. We could just go straight to the ocean and, you know, fight the Namor's people. We could just, you know, band together, rally together. But she's got this other level that she's got to, you know, rise above. And it was, I, I thought it was just yeah. really excellent. You know, Jordan, I just want to say one more thing about like Shuri's. Yeah um characterization in the movie it um to me it felt like um it leaned really hard on um the way she was written in the comics early on you know when she first appeared mm -hmm. and kind of you know t'challa was sidelined and she had to take on the mantle and the throne she she was talking a lot of shit and taking a lot of names like she you know yeah. she bought it to name more in the comics you know like she yeah. escalated that conflict she was not one for like diplomacy or talking it out or being considered she was a lot a lot more hot-headed and arrogant in her first couple of uh comics appearances and storylines than the character that we saw in the first black panther movie so like yeah. to me this was like okay again paying homage to uh what happened um in the comics so i i really appreciated that as somebody who like feels like again the comics are the wellspring from which all these things come um when when they can align and pay homage and like um send people back potentially to the comics i i love that absolutely um and for the listener cameron cameron had to dip out so if you don't hear him again that's just that's why <laughs> but uh i just i had a few more things for you evan because i think it is very interesting this is a movie this is this is a movie that just opened and has made 341 million dollars at the box office and it is built on the black the backs of black women right like that is the majority of the cast of the film right and like that's what a lot of the crux of the film spins around and it's one fascinating 
because when's the last time we saw that happen, right? Like a, a, a cast of majority black women, not only getting the spotlight, but two, like having really intricate and complicated stories, right? Like oftentimes black women in these positions are built up to be the strong black woman stereotype, right? Like, oh, the world's on your back and you got it, right? Even in the real world. Yeah. Go, Stacey Abrams, go. <laughs> you know, all these black women, save us, do all the things that you do, right? And like the black women in this movie aren't necessarily messy from the standpoint of like, you know, all, all of their internal, you know, situations going on or like the relationships between them. But like, there's a lot happening with all of them, right? Again, Kareem Ronda her son dies from you know an unexpected illness right like she's already lost her husband right she is now thrust into the spotlight right because of the events of the last film right where now wakanda is known to the world and she has to be a political figure not only dealing with you know how wakanda is seen as a forward-facing nation but also now like we see france and other nations doing all of the shit that, you know, Western countries like to do in, in other parts of the world with just kind of espionage and all that stuff. So she's dealing with that, right? But then also has to deal with Wakanda, right? And we see Wakanda still continuing to thrive, you know, as a country, but like just it's enough to be in charge of 5 million people, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Then she's got her daughter who is, one, still reeling from all of the things that she yeah, went through. Deep and now, in denial. Her brother is dead. Right, she's throwing herself into her work. And, you know, Sherry is, is also interesting in terms of her characterization because she has never been shown to be deeply anti, um, you know, like, ritual or, like, against just kind of, like, the, the culture of Wakanda, but she is very much steeped and based in science, right? So even the scene where, you know, Karim Wormanda's like, hey, come out here to the water with me. We're going to do this thing. And she's like, no, you're not seeing you know, T'Challa, you're just seeing, like, you're having a conversation with what you what you want to right. hear from him, right? Like, this isn't, there's no actual ancestors or ghosts or ancestral plane or any of this stuff, right? So she's she's fighting against that, uh, but also, like, like you're saying, she's throwing herself into doing all this stuff, because as she says, why would I have these gifts if I can't use them to save the people I love? What's the point of all this if I'm, you know, talented enough to create all these weapons and, you know, uh, technology and all this stuff but like when it's time for me to use that to save one of the people i love most of the world like i fail right and so like there's levels of failure right okoye fails to protect shuri yeah. when she takes her out into the field she fails to protect uh riri when they take her out into the field like even um nakia right like when we meet her we learn at the end the reason that she left you know was because to protect the heir to the throne right and take him to, to haiti but like in the moment in the movie it's like she ran away from from everything yeah. that was happening you know what i mean like she she left in the biggest moment where everybody is grieving and going through this collective moment she disappears right and nobody knows where she is and so all of these women have all of these really deep and nuanced stories and they're never necessarily pushing against each other right like it's never like they're fighting for time or fighting to to overshadow the other they all kind of work in concert together which i thought was one like Again, when do you see that, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, in a movie of this magnitude? But also just, I think, a very beautiful look at just what it is, not only necessary to be, you know, a Black woman, you know, in in these spaces, right? Like, we're talking about superheroes and, you know, big political, yeah. you know, conflicts, but there's very human moments, right? 
like yeah um, like the way they between... all appre- approach grief differently like you mentioned right you know yeah like shuri was in denial and anger you know um Ramonda, there was a lot of sadness but also steadfastness you know mm-hmm. trying to figure out on nakia was just trying to move on not sweeping it under the rug right but like she you know yeah. she she's a black mother right you know and yeah. she had to be like you know what yes shit is rough out here but i got <laughs> i have a kid to think about and yeah and i have to realign my life around what he's gonna need um to to grow up the way that um is optimal for him right you know okoye has lived a life of service and duty you know and um that moment where it's stripped away it's just like it's yeah no that was like because it's like all she's ever had that was to me that was a scene where i was like holding my breath the whole time in the throne room where you know ramonda's dressing down nakia and strips strips her of of her station i was like damn and you know it was good, juicy on-screen drama, but that's also grief. You know what I'm saying? Like Ramon yeah. was acting out of grief, like triple, yeah. triple threat grief at that point. You know, right? And 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 the thing is, Okoye is acting out of grief too. You know, she's like, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm going to dig deep into this sense of myself as hyper competent, right? And yeah. I got this. I'm going to take the princess, and we, you know, like because that's her." dealing with grief you know what i'm saying like right. i'm just gonna have to again be the quote-unquote strong black woman that's a stereotype so many people have in their head right but you know what right that shit comes at a ridiculous cost and when you can't keep mm. that up like you suffer big time you know yeah. and um you know i mean at the risk of being too personal i saw it with my own mom you know she had to raise three kids by herself yeah and um there were days she couldn't handle it you know, there are days she couldn't deal. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't want to get to bed. You know, whatever. Like, she didn't have time for our, our bullshit. Um, yeah. And and again, you see all these different modalities, right? Um, mm-hmm. and we're not black women. We can't speak for them, right? But we've been, you know, close to them. No. Um, and that all felt very familiar from, again, being from the relationships I've had with black women over the years. You know, family, friends, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, romantic relationships. It's so... Like that all felt like so well observed, you know. Um, yeah. Well, and at the center of it all is is healing, right? Because like these women are going through trauma after trauma, but at the end of it, they are there to help each other through these events, right? And like the ultimate regard at the end of the film is like because you know another real world parallel as black people we often don't have time to stop Word. and observe the trauma you know what i mean it, it hits us it reverberates within us and we do whatever it is we do with it some people hold it in you know and and it may destroy them in the end some people uh you know have thankfully healthy outlets to get it out some people kind of go back and forth you know they're not really sure what to do with and, it, and right? that experience and so, like is so widespread throughout the diaspora because yeah we tell ourselves the story we tell ourselves and the story we're often told about ourselves is generationally historically yeah we've survived so much so we can get through this but um you know individually um <laughs> that's still a lot of pressure you know like yeah. You know, when we talk about our historical figures, like we don't often get access to the narratives of, you know, self-doubt, 
you know, uh, uh, exhaustion, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, they probably all dealt with that, you know, like, oh, for sure. You know, we get to hear the glorious aspects of their contributions to our lives and to history. But, you know, like, Malcolm X had to have that rifle in the window, you know, because his yeah. family's lives. But, you know, we heard about the anger, um, but we probably didn't hear much about the fear, you know? And yeah, and w- from what we know about his life, like, he knew he couldn't, like, dodge that forever, you know? He knew that mm-hmm. he was going to meet probably an untimely end. Um, yeah. And, 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 Again, if you just extrapolate that through all the people who had to be at the forefront of the fight against white supremacy, right? Um, yeah. They all probably had a wide range of emotions that are human, you know? And and, yeah. and to think of Black people only as strong, whether it's men or women, in the face of all that adversity is a sort of dehumanization. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So to show us being you know, mournful, sad, apathetic, you know, just as dimensionality to how we can imagine ourselves and other people can imagine us too. Yeah. Well, and even in the movie, like the small acts of kindness go a long way, right? You know, like M'Baku's talks. Yes. With, I was, I was literally know, about Sherry to go there, are, just about to go there. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, like he is gentle and he's also not careful. gentle you know just you know like sometimes, Yo, yeah yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah well he, i mean he's 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 understanding of what it is right yeah. you know what i mean like he's he's in a in a very elegant advancement of his own character right like he's coming at it in a way that's like i'm gonna i'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you but i also understand you know like this is this is you now right like when, when they're having that conversation he's like look I'll give you my opinion and I'll tell you what I think and how I feel. But at the end of the day, like the responsibility is yours now. Right. And like, you have to really think about what it is that you want, not only for yourself, but for Wakanda. Right. Like, do you want to be queen? Do you want to take this mantle? Do you want to do all this? Because if you do, I'll be there to to help, but also like just understanding what that entails. Right. And then, you also have situations, just small things, right? At the end, after everything they've been through, Riri is is getting ready to go home, and she's like, "Hey, great, can't take that armor with you. Uh, Got to leave that here." But also, you know, I know that car that meant a lot to you, that belonged to your father, that you know, like, is a, is a very sentimental item to you. Like, we went through the trouble of rebuilding it for you, piece by piece, original piece. You know what I mean? Like. And that seems like, you know, just kind of like a throwaway thing that's like, hey, oh, isn't that cool? She got the car back. But like in this in the grand scheme of the movie, it's like that's, again, just this act of kindness that like I think reverberates forward where now not only is that connection between Riri and, and Shuri a bit stronger, but it's also like I know what it is to lose people and lose you know the things that connect me to those people. And like some people might just see this as a car that you drive around and it looks cool, but like this is what you have of your father. Right. And like, you know, I wish I had something like that to kind of connect me to my family in that way. So anything I can do 
to to aid that and to keep you connected to that like it's nothing it's it's expected you know and so i thought that was just another kind of small moment where these characters are able to you know connect not necessarily just through their grief but in terms of trying to heal through that um and and keep each other afloat in those moments so um i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about haiti for a little bit <laughs> um you know for for you as as a haitian i have these questions you know I'm going to ask you these questions and then I, I, I'm hoping to have, you know, people from from Africa, from different African countries on so we can talk about it because it's just a, it's an interesting thing. Right. So often, whether it is Haiti, whether it is Africa, basically predominantly black countries, anytime we get a movie made about us, it's because something went horribly wrong. Right. There was a political upheaval. There was a natural disaster. There was some kind of something that we had to come here and make a movie about this event. It's not hey black people live here and they have lives and like we should check that out you know like something for hollywood to get involved in that way usually it has to be this big event right and so to see look how messed up it is here without without (laughs) ever interrogating why no well you don't want to get too far into that but (laughs) i think you know to see haiti presented here not only as just like a place that black people are and they live and they exist. Um, but also like with, with some reverence, right. With some, you know, like they don't get deep into the historical connection in terms of the, you know, the Haitian revolution, they do name the child Toussaint. Yeah, they you know, gesture at it yeah. to that. Uh, but it's never explicitly said, but for those who know, right. For those who have that, that knowledge and that background, you know, the connection between Haiti and Wakanda is, is very evident. Um, so for you, you know, seeing, seeing the homeland represented in that way, how did you feel, you know, not only just with the representation, representation of Haiti, but also, you know, to see Haiti again in the movie that's made $341 million of the opening weekend and for it to play, you know, somewhat of a central role to the film. And, and we're just getting black people living and existing in the space. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously very moving for me and quite beautiful you know, um, for me, given my kind of career and, and, and opportunities, like I've always drawn that connection between Haiti and Wakanda, you know, like I've always said, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm Haitian, I felt like I knew what that, that national psyche would feel like, you know, or could feel like, um, Haiti's isolated it's an island you know and it's got a specific history um with regard to white supremacy and resisting it right so um you know I'll never forget um I was writing Rise of the Black Panther number three um number three and four um when the former president of the United States referred to my homeland as a shithole country you know with the other ones he listed Mm -hmm. on and you know i put that energy in my work you know the way i felt yeah um and um you know the other thing too jordan is like obviously we're living in 2022 and you know the primary kind of disposition of uh international news coverage around haiti is about the poverty and corruption and whatever mm-hmm. and the sad state of affairs there but like when you study history and the history of the world specifically of the slave trade and um white supremacy 
like when you look at um newspapers articles treatises about haiti in the late 1700s and early 1800s and beyond during the haitian revolution and after these countries were all the major slave holding powers of the world which were you know the big global powers spain portugal france britain united states england etc they were all scared that a haitian revolution mm -hmm. was going to happen in their colonies you know they were so so scared um and um you know one of the consequences that haiti you know had to suffer was paying um quote unquote reparations to france um mm -hmm. that uh depending on what histories you read were about the lost uh sugar trade that they that um, the income that they weren't getting by virtue of running a, a slave colony anymore or basically like protection money to not get invaded again you know right um so like they were scared the specter of haiti the specter of slave revolt a successful slave revolt and and the black sovereignty that would follow they were so scared mm -hmm. of that so you know in my mind in my little 11 year old mind or whatever you know <laughs> like I started to connect those dots, you know, from a young age, you know, and then I get the chance to write Black Panther and it's like, yeah, that's all in my head, you know, like, yeah. So it was really gratifying to see again, that subtext made text in the movie, you know, yeah. um, and like, sometimes, you know, when I meet other Haitian people, Haitian American people, uh, children of immigrants, whatever, it feels like we all connect on the pride, you know, mm -hmm. of of our history, because um, that's something that they couldn't take away from us, you know? Exactly. Um, so, again, that pride as a source of cultural power and political power, like, is very much what's at risk, you know, for Wakanda in the movie, and telecon too oh, right definitely. you know it's like yeah the thing is part of what enables you to survive right um yeah and if you take that away it gets a lot lot harder so that was you know again um very resonant for me um mm -hmm. um but you know like <sighs> black cultural production is a lot about um wielding symbolism right you know, um, and as as a moment of that of wielding symbolism, I thought it was like really gratifying. You know, yeah. Um, um, because again, it's gonna sound like I'm on my, you know, Haitian soapbox here, but like the, the Haitian Revolution is a superhero story. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a voodoo superhero story, too, you know? <laughs> like, you know, Mockendal had people out there believing that, like, he couldn't die and bullets would bounce off his body, you know? Like, um, they were scared of us in a way that, like, defies description, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, yes, a lot of that was tied into tropes about, you know... 
savage superhuman strength and whatever a lot of the things that persist today right. about perceptions of black uh people but um back then like they were super super shook right and oh yeah and you know it just felt good to like not have the menacing part of it like be be referenced but like the, the strength of like um imagination and mm -hmm. um and um just like self-determination that like yeah. that we've had to kind of figure out how to marshal and deploy in a world that's 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 not built for us you know like yeah it felt like bringing those two things together from the real world and fictional worlds you know was was it's for me a game changer yeah Again, if I had one other slight note for the movie, it would be for the soundtrack for not having Makami as a part of the soundtrack because you gotta get you gotta get him on there, right? Nobody's he's got the flag on his face, you know, like you gotta get him involved somehow. But I think uh, wrapping this up, I want to do what what us nerds love to do, and let's spin forward, right? Let's think about not only what this movie means for the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like spinning forward for Black Panther, the franchise specifically, right? Because in an interesting place, right? Like we've got Shuri as Black Panther, right? Like all of the other characters more or less are still intact. Now Riri is, is brought into the fold. They have this tentative alliance with uh, Talakan. And we have this inkling of things moving forward in terms of we know that uh, Kang is going to be possibly the next big bad. We've got the promise of a Fantastic Four movie, the promise of X-Men. You know, like Namor is referred to explicitly as a mutant. Uh, and so that seems to be, you know, part of what's going to be moving forward, right? And so, like, thinking about this franchise specifically, but then also as we kind of extrapolate into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, what what predictions do you have and what things would you like to see unfold on the screen? You know, I think the Wakanda Telecon Alliance is going to be a big deal in the MCU, like balance of power moving forward. You know, I wrote a piece for Rolling Stone pretty much saying that, you know, here we have a black nation and a brown nation. And, you know, in terms of like um, superhuman protectors and... Um, you know, hyper advanced capabilities, they're like at the forefront, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and you know, if you're the established powers of the world, that's gotta make you a little bit queasy, right? Um right. and and these nations historically have treated such queasiness with, you know, sanctions, <laughs> military aggression, mm -hmm. you know, black op oper operations. So, you know, uh I think we're gonna see um some of that um moving forward we have a thunderbolts movie coming right and so mm -hmm. you know, there you know th that's uh, a team in the marvel comics that has typically been about uh, uh dirty tricks you know um right deniable ops and whatnot so i think that's definitely th some of that is definitely gonna be in the future for wakanda right um in the mcu um and, and for the black panther you know, franchise. I think we're gonna see. 
whatever comes next is going to be about like the legacy, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, Shuri, whether she's just a Black Panther or also the queen on the throne, right, is going to like again face a world where um y'all are not a secret anymore you know um and is continued interface with the outside world a good thing you know y'all have had these outreach centers you know like is that still smart Are, are those a vulnerability you know do those go away um you know you've now got a young american black girl who knows what y'all can do and has helped y'all mm-hmm. do it. You know, she's, I think Riri's obviously going to be a target um, in her series. Yep. I don't know anything about it, but um, that certainly seems to me like one way it could go. Um, you know, so I think it's really interesting uh, set of possibilities that they could explore, right? You know, yeah. um, you know, Val, uh, the character played by Julia Louise Dreyfus, you know, she's obviously got some kind of agenda, right? Um, oh, for sure. Um, whether that's entirely loyal to the United States or her own pursuits as well, um, she's mm, doing some yeah. extra credits over there. We'll see. So for I sure. think, you know, the thing that feels so good and, and different about um, the MCU version of Wakanda is like... Um, it feels central now, you know, it feels like you can't ignore it. You can't sideline it. Um, you have to acknowledge them. And, you know, the earlier part of this podcast where we were talking about the Black Panthers publishing history, like, yeah, Wakanda, you know, was barely a footnote sometimes, you know? Right. Um, which is, again, crazy to think about now when so many people know the word, you know, and the place mm-hmm. and what it means. Um, and it, it feels good to see the MCU move forward with um, Wakanda being a central pillar to its world building, you know? Um, yeah. And and furthermore, like with Kugler <laughs> stewardship, which I've, I've enjoyed, um, it feels like it's always going to center Black people in, in our lives as we experience them in the world um, at the heart of that. Yeah. So that feels great. Yeah. Uh, okay, here are my galaxy brain uh, predictions Go. for everything, right? So MCU-wise, like, I feel like, obviously, a lot of the things that you were talking about probably do come to pass. But also, it's going to be interesting to see Shuri moving into these spaces that her brother originally occupied. Because does she even want to be an Avenger? Yeah. Like, does yeah. she want to be a part of that team? Or does that seem superfluous now that she is the queen of <laughs> Wakanda does she even want to get into that um because you know it seems like obviously they're going to want to recenter the Avengers of Scumkind do they move the young Avengers into that space yeah. where you have now Miss Marvel you're obviously going to have you know Cassie you're going to have Kate Bishop um I'm hoping Patriot right like he's he's hanging around yeah. in those spaces yeah. so like you know we got it we we'll got a glimpse him. of him on Falcon Winter Soldier yeah yeah, so like they could have the Young Avengers kind of occupy that space as this new team that are the younger versions of these heroes that are now taking up the mantle. And then does Shuri get involved in that? Does she say, oh, okay, I'd probably rather be more involved with younger people 
who are seeing a vision of the future that I'm seeing than be involved with, you know, some of the, I don't want to be with, you know, War Machine and like all yeah. these other, yeah, old, yeah, yeah. you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, I want to be with, with, with what's new going on. So, Nick like, Fury we'll with one eye. He can't there. tell me what to do. He has yeah, no depth no, perception. No. <laughs> but then also, like, I think we're, we're definitely moving into multiversal yeah. possibilities, right? And so, like, obviously, I don't know how far they're going to go with it. I'm, predicting secret wars you know some way shape or form and if we're gonna have fantastic four right we're gonna have x-men obviously we're gonna have dr doom right like i think there's a lot of possibilities like i was speaking before of namor doom and you know wakanda in general right as these three geopolitical powers that are standing in opposition to basically the rest of the world <laughs> you know like they're not necessarily ones to just say yeah sure what like the g20 summit let's do that yeah you know like they're gonna they're good they're definitely gonna have their own ideas about how things go um but then even in a larger sense right like somebody like kang meddling and and you know shifting timelines and things like that like my thought was always going to be no we're not going to get another t'challa although now we literally are going to get another t'challa at some point but like Black Panther is always going to exist, right? And then the possibilities of Black Panther existing in a multiversal sense, you know, what I mean, seeing alternate versions of Wakanda or what Wakanda could be. So you could have, you know, like the intergalactic Wakanda version, you know, coming in or like all these other different ways that you could implicate, you know, Black Panther and the legacy um, and kind of have Shuri come face to face with that or what that might mean in terms of the franchise itself. I think I think this is it for Ryan Coogler in the sense of I think he said it, you know, like these two movies are big undertakings for anybody. And like, not only is he the most financially viable black director of the moment, but also like for period. Right. These two movies are going to make a billion dollars. Right. Like that's not what happens all the time. We are at the center of movies or, or create movies. So I think he's one got a blank check in Hollywood, whatever he wants to do. I'm sure studios are very much so behind that. Um, but I think he's also like this movie, I think we'll we'll hear more about it as time goes on, but like it sounded exhausting. Like it sounded like it was everything that everybody had. You could tell in the performances that people were giving. You can tell in the love and care that was put into it. Like this was a big effort by literally every person involved. And I'm sure Ryan Kugler I, th- I was talking about this with Cameron, like it's that mentality of, but when is this going to go away? Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm here now, this is great. But like, you're always kind of looking over your shoulder as a black person, specifically in those spaces of like, they love me now, you know, but I remember when I was at a bank earlier this year and they escorted me out with the police. Right. So like, you know, you're never that far, like you were saying, you're never that far away from losing it. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily him as a director, right? Like, I don't think he's going to like make a movie. And if it's not making a billion dollars, they're going to say, mm, you don't get to do anymore. But I, I feel like he, I think he'll stay similar to Creed, stay in the production chair of Black Panther. Um, but I would love to see a black woman slide into that director role and get a chance to tell the next story. Not only because I think there's, there's so much to explore, like give us a, a, a Dora Milaje Disney plus series first of all get get Michaela Cole on that and get all of that worked out but then like this is now 
this is it, right? This is this is a story about black women. Like this is what the Black Panther franchise and Wakanda has turned into is that they are not only the focal point, but like this is an opportunity to tell stories about black women on a multi-million dollar scale, right? And so like having a black woman at the forefront of that, being able to direct that, write that, tell those stories, I think would be amazing. So I'm sure Ryan would still like to very much be involved with things, but I don't think he would necessarily be too sad to let go of the reins in the sense of like the work that it takes to make, because it's five years of your life. Like these movies don't come and go. Like he's been at this since they made the last one. So like it's been an undertaking. I'm sure he would like a break, you know, but this, this doesn't stop. The MCU doesn't stop. It's going to keep going. And so, you know, I'm sure there's already plans for Black Panther 3 now. Uh, and I'm sure he's involved in that in some way, but also not going to be like, I don't know if he's chopping at the bit to do what he just did again. <laughs> Look, um, I like all your, um, your prognostication and forecasting. Um, I hope the brother gets a break. Um, I, I hope know. he gets to enjoy yeah. it, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll echo your sentiment. Like I do hope, you know, that this creates space for other creators, black women, you know, black queer folk, whoever, um, to come in and execute um, on this level and and help expand the legacy. You know, that's something I want to see yeah. happen. Um, you know, uh, neither one of us has a crystal ball. We're gonna have to wait and see. But um, you mm. know, <laughs> do you? <laughs> I mean, I, mean I wish I did. Yeah. I wish I wish I had some, uh, some inside. Yeah, info, but, but um, you know, I, I I think the movie is a big achievement, and um. You know, I, I I just hope, like, you know, to tie it back to the themes of the movie, that this moment is more resilient, you know, isn't as fragile, um, mm-hmm. and, and creates space for us to tell stories, you know, that can show Black people in all their complexities and contradictions, you know, um, I feel like the movie did that. Um, it touched me in that way. And, and, and you know, I, 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 I want to say the same thing about the comics, you know, like it's been, um, you know, my life has, has, is shaped by the stories I've read. And, and, and when they're like this, you know, you can see the effect out in the world. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, so, so that's just something I want to see continue. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap things for us. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been thank amazing. Thank you for asking me, Jordan. Great. Yeah, man. Great to have your perspective on this. Much success and congratulations to you on everything that's been going on. I can't wait for that milestone special because I'm sure you've got you've got something special cooked up for that. Um, but tell everybody where they can find your work, what they should be looking out for, and where they can find you on the internet. Um. Wow. Okay. So um in terms of ongoing comics series that are going to be hitting shelves um the wakanda series from marvel is out issue one is out and um issue two hits this week on november 16th that's tomorrow right yeah um yeah uh i'm also writing the gotham knight series dc um issue one is out issue two is out i believe next week um um, in terms of my back catalog, Rise of the Black Panther is out there. Um, New Day, The Power of Positivity. Um, 
and assorted other work. Um, you can find about all of this and more by following me on Twitter on Evnark for as long as Twitter lasts. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Oh, I, you know, you play Miles Morales. Um, you can play the Avengers War for Wakanda series uh, expansion. I did some work on that. Um, also nice. played, uh, I did some work on Redfall coming out soon from Arcane Studios. Um, so yeah, Dope. I'm all up in your comics and games for better or for worse. For sure. Nice. Uh, well, I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Uh, as announced this week, there's going to be a DC Black Power anthology that's coming out in January, January 31st of next year. So I'll have a story in there. You can also check me out. I'll have some stuff coming out through Dynamite, Red Sonja vs. Hell Sonja coming out in December, then ongoing from there. And then some other stuff that I can't talk about right now, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about soon. So that's it. going to do it for us. If you want to find us on Twitter, as we all say for now, we'll see how that goes. But you can find us at white underscore pod on Twitter. And you can also reach out to us at whitepeoplewontsaveypod at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week, but we'll be back with more Cuckacity next time. Peace. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. <laughs>